morning, Salthouse. Good morning. We are halfway through the Beatitudes. Did you know that? Um, and like, we're also like half, more than halfway through summer. Like we went from summer to not summer very quickly. Um, like it's Seafair this weekend. Um, it's raining again. Uh, the sun doesn't come in your bedroom at 5 a.m. Like we're flying through. Um, and so far in the Beatitude series, we've covered a lot. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what else? Those who mourn and the meek. And so today we have a new beatitude. And as a bonus, we're going to look at it twice. It's like two sermons for the price of one. <laughs> um, this beatitude, um, this list of blessings that's found in Matthew's gospel on the Sermon on the Mount, um, is also found in Luke's gospel in the Sermon on the Plain. But there aren't quite as many blessings in Luke. Luke only gets four. Um, and instead, Luke's contains a few curses. So that'll have to be a different sermon series where we look at the curses of Jesus. But this seems interesting. Like These blessings from Jesus were known, but interpreted in these two Gospels in different ways. And yet our tradition looked at both Luke and Matthew and was like, yes, that is true. That is a true claim about God. Isn't that really cool? Like God is found in contradictions. And to oversimplify a lot of Bible theology, um, it's generally assumed that Matthew was written by a Jewish community for an audience of Jews that were familiar with their tradition and questioning how Jesus fit into it. And then Luke is assumed to be written by a Greek community for an audience that was deeply schooled in Greek philosophy, like Socrates and Plato, and trying to figure out where Jesus fit into that sort of thinking. And again, the conclusion is that God is found in both. Like, Jesus speaks to both Jew and Greek. God shows up in people's lives in different ways. That this expansive grace of God can't be limited to a single theology, but finds people in different cultures, in different languages, in different ways. Isn't that cool? And this week's blessing is about hunger and thirst. And this blessing is one that shows up in both Matthew and Luke, but each is a little different, so we're going to look at both. Sound good? So we'll start with Luke. Luke has this blessing as, Blessed are those who are hungry now, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are hungry now, for they will be filled. When was the last time you were hungry? Can you imagine that sensation in your stomach? Or if you're the type to get hangry, maybe you feel hunger in different ways. Like maybe it's your whole body or a headache or a clenched fist. Hunger is a sensation that your body has been deprived of nourishment for too long. Like it's a deep, lingering, visceral emptiness. And it is in that deprivation, that emptiness, that Jesus says we find blessing. Which seems weird, but if you think about it, this is kind of a condemnation of empire. Like, empires have limitless food. If you're an empire and you need more land to grow food, you just go take the land. Or if there's a particular food that doesn't grow well in your climate, you just go take the food. Like, the diet of an empire is whatever it wants. Like, all you have to do is go and take it. Is anyone an amateur wine snob? <laughs> or We did whiskey last week. I figured we'd do wine this week. Wine is like a great illustration of the locality of food. Like the flavor of wine changes with the soil, with the climate, with the lineage of the vines. You don't just taste old grape juice. You taste history and geography. You can taste the sea breeze. You can taste when there was a bad year of wildfires. You can taste the same wine that your grandparents drank years ago. But an empire doesn't appreciate that. An empire wants this type of grape when they want it. And they either force it into the ground 
and use whatever farming practice necessary to grow it. Or they set up contracts and channels to secure their supply from wherever it grows. Like history and geography don't matter to an empire. And so much has been written about this by indigenous scholars who point out the ways European colonizers don't understand food. And in a lot of ways, those of us descended from colonizers inherit some of this ignorance. Um, for example, the UN published a report on food practices from 11 different indigenous traditions across all six continents. And while there were many differences, a recurring theme was about sustainability. There's this indigenous wisdom that a sustainable system does not have waste. Everything has a purpose. But empires only consume what they want, what satisfies their cravings, and then they disregard the rest. So in an empire, hunger is a policy choice. An empire, by definition, does not lack resources. Empires choose to let some people go hungry while others are fed. Empires waste resources while some people do not have enough. So when Jesus is speaking to a crowd that has been beaten up by the Roman Empire, this blessing is a condemnation of empire. This blessing is not with those who take what they want, but with those who have been deprived, who are empty, who don't take and take and take. And it's good news if you've been trampled. If you're hungry or the world has left you out, you are the one that God blesses. And like the other blessings we've looked at, Jesus lives this one too. Um, so Chris is going to read for us a story from Luke. This is a pretty well-known story. And we'll see what Jesus does with hunger. Now Herod the ruler heard all about what had taken place. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared. And by others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. Herod said, well, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he tried to see them. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. Then, taking them along, he slipped quietly into a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away, so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and to get provisions, for we're here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You, you give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and all were filled. And what was left over was gathered up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Chris. Do you remember this story? The feeding of the 5,000? 
This story hits on so many themes of this blessing. For one, it starts out with this story of Herod, reminding us of like the violence of the Roman Empire. It evokes this memory that the Romans killed John the Baptist, that the violence of empire is here from the outset, breaking de- um, breathing down the neck of Jesus and his disciples. And then they go to Bethsaida, which in Hebrew means the house of the fisherman or maybe the house of the hunter. So think about that symbolism. They go to a place known for its traditions of fishing and hunting. And if you can fish and hunt, then you have food. This place, these people should have an abundance to eat. And so I think we're supposed to connect the dots because there's like this scarcity mindset. Something's changed. Like the empire has shifted the way Bethsaida used to be. Under Roman occupation, we know that there was overfishing and heavy taxation and that food was often prioritized and consumed by the occupying military forces. So when Jesus and the disciples get there and this crowd gathers, you hear this fear. How will we feed these people? We don't have enough. Will everyone go hungry? And while panic spreads that there isn't enough, Jesus shows that there is, that what we need is here. I've been using this Noom app to try to lose weight. Has anybody heard of Noom? So far, all I've accomplished is losing money to Noom by subscribing. But if you haven't heard of Noom, it uses all these little psychology tricks to um, teach you how to think about food. And one of the things that it talks about is how we often use food to comfort ourselves. Like you have a stressful day at work, you have a drink. It's cold outside, a warm bowl of soup sounds good. And like French fries always sound better when you're running late or stuck in traffic. And like a pile of pasta, that's comfort food. No one thinks of a salad as comfort food. And the theory behind Overeaters Anonymous is recognizing when you are eating to meet a physical need for nourishment versus eating to dull an emotional need for comfort. Like hunger is more than a craving for food. It's this sense of fear, like a sense of being deprived, a sense of being forgotten, of being used and unsafe. Can you relate to that at all? Is that possibly in this blessing? Is it possible that sometimes we think like the disciples that, Jesus, there isn't enough. We are hurt, we are scared, we are tired. We wanna be fed Jesus, but there just isn't enough here. And yet Jesus proves time and time again that there is enough. That no matter how little you have, God can work miracles with whatever you have. In fact, if you are hungry, God can work with that too. Your hunger is enough. Your emptiness is enough. For God is always moving towards feeding, caring, and showing up among those who don't have enough. For those who've been left out and for those who are hungry. How cool is that? Now, as promised, we're gonna take a second look at the blessing because Matthew also has this blessing, but Matthew tweaks it a little bit. In the Beatitudes, we find this. We find blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's interesting, because hunger is like this feeling of being deprived for too long, and thirst kind of fits the same category, right? Like you have a need for hydration, a need for refreshment, a need calling out to be quenched, that's thirst. But here, That need that is being deprived is specifically named as righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
So if you do a little Googling on this beatitude, you find two schools of thought. I promise I went to seminary. I just Google sometimes. <laughs> on the more evangelical end of the spectrum, you find arguments that righteousness is about religiosity. Like it's about confessing the right creeds. It's about baptism. It's about living a good Christian life. And on the other end of the spectrum, you find arguments that righteousness is about systemic reform, that it's about challenging the system, being a good ally, making the social change happen. And in reality, both are right. Like, remember, God is often found in the contradictions and the both and. Um, as biblical theology points out, Matthew's gospel is written for a Jewish audience. And the Jewish word for righteousness is zadik. And zadik means right action. And this is the whole basis for the prophetic tradition. Righteous folks throughout the Hebrew tradition take action. Like Abraham is a righteous man because he goes to the place God shows him. The kings who are righteous are the merciful leaders who protect the widows, orphans, and children, thus leading Israel to prosperity, where the kings who are not righteous provoke wars and make enemies and lead Israel into bondage. The psalmists sing about how God's righteousness is God's justice. So right action is always the key to a good life. Luther theologizes about this too. Luther comes to believe that when you have an experience of God's grace in your own life, it compels you to have compassion for others. Like when you feel your own belovedness, you're compelled to just shower love on others. So it's not entirely a confessional model, but more, than, more so that hungering and thirsting for this experience of God leads you to hunger and thirst for a better world, a world that's made right. Some scholars suggest the word justice is a good translation for Zadok because it captures this concept of making it right. So let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced something that was just wrong, that was unfair, a time where wickedness won, where like the bad guys got acquitted, where justice never happened? I'll give you an example. In our queer group here at Salt House, we have a wide range of experiences when it comes to coming out. We have folks who were given conversion therapy. We have folks whose families cut them off. We have folks whose churches were never like blatantly hostile, but told them they couldn't get married at that church. We have folks who have lost jobs, friends, and loved ones over coming out. And across these stories, a common theme is someone saying, we're choosing our doctrine and our beliefs over loving you. Much like hunger is a policy choice in an empire, homophobia is a policy choice in a church. And yet our queer group here at Salt House has grown to 34 registered members, like 34 people who, despite having dirt kicked in their face, persisted. They kept searching for a church. They kept believing that God desires better. They followed their hunger and thirst. And I think that's what this blessing is describing. This blessing describes people who know that God wants better. This blessing describes people who know that this can't be as good as it gets. This blessing describes people who so long for God's justice that this longing feels like a hunger, that it feels like a thirst. Queer joy is this idea that LGBTQ folks have to find things to celebrate and be joyful for every day. Um, like it's the only balm for the attacks on rights and humanity that gets you through. So this is why pride parades or gay bars or drag shows, these spaces that affirm and celebrate and allow for queer flourishing, even when the world does not. And I think that's what this blessing is about. 
Because notice Jesus doesn't bless righteousness. The blessing's not about success. The blessing is not about achieving or perfection or even reaching justice. The blessing is for the hunger and thirst. It's for the desire. It's he blesses the pursuit. Theologians sometimes use the language that resurrection is both a now and a not yet. Like God's justice is coming and Jesus' resurrection is proof, but we aren't there yet. And yet in the meantime, we have joy. Jesus blesses that joy, that dreaming of a better future. The, um, the blessing is for the not yet and for the meantime. So what better future are you dreaming of? What right action do you hope to see in the world? What justice may you never reach, but you continue to pursue? Who knew there was so much to hunger and thirst? So if we turn towards our wall here, I wonder what you might write on it this week. Like, does Luke's version speak to you? Are you hungry? Where have you been deprived for too long? Where do you feel empty, abandoned, or used? Where have you seen scarcity, and you need Jesus to remind you that there is enough? Could you write that hunger on our wall? Could we bless that emptiness together as a community? Or perhaps Matthew resonates with you today. Perhaps the thing you long for is justice. Where are you longing for things to be made right? Where are you exhausted from waiting? Where is your hope just like hanging on by a thread? Where might you fail or get really, really hurt, but you're gonna keep showing up? Could you write that hunger on our wall? Could we bless that right action here today? Because these longings, these hungers, they're so universal. Like they speak to both Jews and Gentiles centuries ago, and they speak to us today. So Salthouse, may you be blessed in your emptiness, blessed in your desire, blessed in your hunger and your thirst. Because when we hunger and thirst, we realize that God meets us with abundance. We already have enough. And when we hunger and thirst for justice, we realize that God meets us in that struggle. Amen. Amen.